We're going to jump right into the message today. Uh, Go ahead and turn in your Bibles uh, to Luke chapter 1. And we're going to hear, I'm going to actually give us a little bit of a character profile here in just a moment. But before we do, I mean, we, can all, we can laugh about you know, the telling of the Christmas story that our kids uh, just helped us with, uh, with High Point Kids. But the reality is, if you take a step back, right, from the warmth and the fuzziness that we oftentimes put around the Christmas story, if you really consider this account of Jesus being born for what it really is, it's a, it's a fearful moment for those who are experiencing it. What, what I mean is, you know, we have all the, you know, the Christmas presents around us and the Christmas trees and, you know, we think of the Charlie Brown Christmas and we think of Jesus being born in a barn or a stable and all the animals gathering around, peering into the manger and it's, you know, this sweet, tender moment. Yet, for Mary, for Joseph, this is terrifying. For Zechariah, for the shepherds, Over and over and over again, we see the words, do not be afraid. In in account after account after account of people interacting with God and angels in the Christmas story, and the truth of the matter is, the Christmas story, it, it reminds us, yes, that a Savior has been born, but it also reminds us that people of faith are going to have to walk through some fearful times and choose courage above fear. They're going to have to choose to trust God through the difficult times, through the hard times, and the fearful times. That's going to be an encouragement for us today as we read from the Bible. In Luke chapter 1, look at this account. Zechariah is uh, Elizabeth's husband. Elizabeth is Mary's cousin. Uh, right? So John the Baptist, this is John the Baptist's parent. Uh, This is his dad. In Zechariah chapter 1, it says, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, being Zechariah, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. Zechariah is a priest and he's, he's working in the temple. And when Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, don't be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. Luke chapter 1, verse 28. This is Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Don't be afraid. Mary, you found favor with God. You will conceive and you will give birth to a son and you're to call him Jesus. Then we have Matthew chapter 1, verse 20. This is Joseph, Mary's husband, Jesus' dad. You know, all, all these things are taking place. Mary has to tell Joseph, Oh, an angel appeared to me and and let me know that by virtue of the Holy Spirit, I'm going to become pregnant and have a baby and it's the Messiah. Okay? Small news, right? No big deal. And Joseph has to decide to, to believe her, trust her. She's this, the, the person I'm engaged to is certifiably crazy, right? But an angel appears to Joseph. 
It says, after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She'll give birth to a son and you're to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Later, we see uh, Jesus is born, and moment after moment, Joseph has to be encouraged because the decisions that he has to make are fearful ones, ones where they have to move their family from place to place, and they're in hiding because Herod is literally on the hunt for anyone two years old and younger because he's trying to wipe out anybody who would possibly threaten his kingship. See, he's afraid as well. But instead of choosing courage to trust God, He seizes his own power and his own strength. And he rejects following God and having courage to trust that there might be a better way. God's way. Luke Chu, Luke Chu, Luke chapter 2, verse 8. There were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified, the Bible says. They're terrified. Welcome to Christmas. (laughs) But the angel said to them, don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Literally everybody in the Christmas story is gripped with fear. (laughs) Right? Christmas isn't a horror. This isn't a horror film. Right? It's not a horror story, but understand if we under, if we look at it in its context, there's a lot of scary moments. Can you imagine being Mary? You're a teenager. And the long-awaited prophecies of the Messiah, you, you, you're visited by an angel and you're told you are going to be the mother of the Messiah. You, Joseph, will be the father of the Messiah. No pressure at all. You don't think that they're terrified just in that moment. What about when Mary had to approach Joseph and tell him what she experienced, the account that that she's been told by an angel? What about the moment where they have to saddle up their belongings and go on a a journey because of a census that's required of them uh, for a population account from Caesar Augustus? Yet you're nine months pregnant. You don't think that you're afraid in this moment. When you get to the inn and there's no more room and you have to lay down in a stable, you don't think you're afraid in this moment. You're a shepherd and the heavens rip open and an angel appears. You don't think you're afraid in this moment. Oh, Christmas is filled with people who have to choose to trust God in the midst of being afraid, anxious, terrified. When we look at the Bible at large today, moment after moment, pivotal person after person, the whole of faith we see in Hebrews, these men and women had to choose courage and they had to choose to trust God in the midst of it. Noah built an ark when people thought he was crazy. Abraham left everything he knew, right, to follow the promise of God. He's called the father of faith. He didn't know where he was going, but God was going to let him know when he got there. You don't think that, that's scary? You don't think it's scary to hear that a flood is coming, so go ahead and build an ark? 
You don't think it would have been scary for Esther to approach the king knowing that just entering the, 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 the throne room could potentially be a death sentence for her? Jacob, Gideon, David, Solomon, Ruth, Naomi, every single one of these people were pursuing a relationship with God the best way they knew how, and yet they found themselves entering into the unknown, the frightening. When we read about fear in the Bible, especially in the Christmas story, this word afraid or terrified, it's a Greek word called phobeo. You'll see it on your screen in front of you. Phobeo, right? I don't expect you to remember that, but here's the definition. It's to terrify, to frighten, to run and hide. And if there's, I can't think of a better description of what fear does to us than, than this idea of running and hiding, of being of paralyzed, right? You just, you're stuck, you're, you're panicking, you're anxious, you don't know where to go, so you're just going to find a place and stick your head in the ground and hide from the world, hide from your situation, hide from people, hide from whatever it is. And you know what this is like. I know what this is like when you're afraid, right, in your mind. And then the, what, what, what happens in your mind creeps down into your heart and you just find yourself gripped with fear. Some of you know what this is like in your marriage right now. You've got, you've got situations that you just don't know how they're going to shake out. And because of that, you're afraid. Some of you are trying to parent kids and the, the situation that you're in is one that has you gripped with fear, with a teenager or a little one. Some of you are not in the season of life that you want to be that you dream of being, and you're gripped with fear thinking that you've missed it, that the, 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 the ship has sailed. God, did I miss it? Did I mess up? And you're afraid, or some of you are in the season that you were dreaded, and you, you just, how did I get here? And you would do anything to get out of it. You find yourself afraid, paralyzed. You want to run. You want to hide. There's a great battle waging around you right now. One of the main attempts that the enemy uses to discourage you and to try to pull you away from a trusting relationship with God is fear. And fear starts in your mind. It starts in your thought processes. It starts literally in your brain. And you know what this is like when you can't shake a thought. You just can't get rid of it. The enemy knows whatever gets your mind gets you. Whatever gets your thoughts gets you. Because if he can live here, if he can plant that lie in your mind and eventually you just, you just keep cycling through it. Marketers know this. Advertisers know this. The, the more they can put an idea in front of you, at first you think, I don't want that. I don't believe that. I don't need that. But the more you see it, the more that Facebook ad just keeps popping up, all of a sudden you think to yourself, maybe I do need that. Maybe that, maybe that is good. Maybe I do want those caramel-covered peanuts with chocolate, and maybe they would be good for me, right? 
No, they're not. They're not good for you. But you've seen it so many times. It wears you down. The enemy knows. And so he comes with lie and he repeats the lie and he repeats the lie until he begins to weaken your mind and you begin to believe it. You begin to entertain it. And the lie travels from the mind slowly down to the heart. And then you find yourself stuck. You're afraid. You're terrified. Paralyzed by it. So what do you do? I am so glad that you asked, watching through your screens this morning, what do we do when we find ourselves gripped with fear? Well, the Christmas story, uh, we see people who get through it. But we don't often see, oftentimes see exactly what they are doing in this moment. Right? But we're, we, can, we can piece some things together. But before we do, I'm going to give you an example of something that, that may seem a little bit um, uh, like an elementary analogy as it pertains to fear. But I think it's helpful for us. It, it, well, let's just jump into it. Have you ever been cliff diving? You ever jumped into like a body of water or a lake from someplace up high? Some of you are thinking, no, I would never do that, right? I have. I'm that guy. I'm the crazy guy who, you know, in college, you know, there's the lake, you go with some buddies and there's the, you know, the little cliff and you, you're looking down up at it and you're like, yeah, we can do that. And people start jumping and it's fun. I'm not encouraging you to do something stupid or reckless in this moment. But I'm going to tell you right now, when you are looking from the bottom up, it never looks that high. You always think to yourself, oh yeah, this is no problem. And then you like to take the little walk up and you, you the steps or however you climb up to get to that thing and then you get to the top looking down and you think, oh my gosh, this is 900 feet high. It's not, but it sure looks that way. And you know what it's like? All of a sudden your heart starts pumping and, and it, it's beating out of your chest. And literally fear does this, by the way. Scientifically, fear, as you entertain fearful thoughts, your heart rate begins to change. Your blood pressure begins to change. And as you persist in a season of fear, this is why living anxiety-filled, fear-filled lives literally has, it takes its toll on your actual body, Right? And so as you're standing at the top of that cliff looking over it, how do you overcome this fear? Either you walk back down and you just choose not to do it. Or, like most of us who are entering seasons of life or, or are in a season of life, and you don't have a choice. So what do you do? Well, the same principle applies. At some point, you have to make a decision. Am I going to jump? Am I going to trust? Am I going to take this plunge? And when you back up to kind of get your running speed, you know what? You're still afraid. When you're tightening your, maybe you have shoes and maybe you're taking your shoes off to jump into the water, you're still afraid. When you're shouting down to your friends and your friends are like, oh, it was a blast. It's not, it's not scary at all. You're still, you're still afraid. It doesn't matter what somebody tells you because fear doesn't listen to reason. It doesn't listen to logic. You're afraid. Until you literally begin to run towards the edge. You're still afraid. You're still afraid. You're still afraid until your feet lift the ground. And you know what's interesting? The minute your feet ascend from the cliff, this amazing thing happens. You're not afraid anymore. 
You might be thinking, well, yes, I am. No, you're not. You're, you're literally not. You're thinking about how to prepare for impact at this point. Or you're, you've got your fist pump in the air and you're screaming the whole way down like a crazy person. You're genuinely filled with some kind of righteous, victorious, I, I whooped this, I've championed this, and I'm, I, I've made this happen. And you're flying through the air until you crash into the water and it's a glorious time, Right? You're afraid the entire time until you finally let your feet get off the ground and you go for it. And this is part of how we address fear because if the the attempt of Satan is to render you actionless, to paralyze you, to make you run, spiritually speaking, and hide, then part of the response and part of the answer is a gospel-centered action. You have to take action. You have to jump off the spiritual cliff, so to speak, And let your spiritual feet leave the ground for a minute. Now, I'm not talking about just regular activity. This isn't just some little inspirational message for you, you know, just to feel good about yourself. Or, you know, this isn't some Tony Robbins moment for you, okay? I'm literally trying to help you understand that you've got to take gospel action. Some people take action, but they don't take gospel-centered action. Jesus action. You know what I'm talking about? You have the breakup and, and you're, you're, you're stressed and you're brokenhearted. And so what do you do? You get immediately, you take action. You get into the rebound relationship, right? And people encourage you to do that. You know what you need? You need to just get right back into a relationship. You need to show him or her. Oh, that'll show them, right? It'll make you feel better. No, it won't. It'll make you feel terrible. It's a terrible idea. Let me say that again. A terrible idea. (laughs) Okay. What else do people do, right? When you're going through a hard time and you want to run, uh, spiritually speaking, sometimes we take action into our own hands, but it's not gospel-centered action. So we go and we start to drink and we get our friends and we know this is how this happens. If you're feeling down, how many times do, do people encourage you to literally drown yourself into a bottle at the bar or at a friend's house to just kind of drown out the noise and the pain of the season or situation that you're in. This happens literally every single day. If I had a nickel for every time somebody tried to drink a problem away, I would be a boo-billionaire, okay? Boo-billion is an actual number this morning. (laughs) We take action, but is it gospel action? Look what Mary did. Mary yielded to God's will. She's terrified in this moment. But but she literally out of her own mouth, I am the Lord's servant. Her action step is to literally yield in this moment, to let go, right? Joseph obeyed God. I can't tell you enough the simplicity of, of, of just obeying God through a hard season, not caving to temptation, but choosing to do what's right, even when you know you don't want to. You're going to put righteousness above your own desires. Joseph did that. He was called faithful. He's righteous. 
Zechariah prayed, he was humbled, and he waited on God to show up. So when we talk about gospel-centered action, sometimes that action is you're listening to the Holy Spirit as you're trying to discern and understand what God wants from you. Sometimes that action looks like waiting. That is the action step for you. If you don't know what God's saying and you don't, you're not sure what he's doing in this moment, well, then you have to, in faith, wait for him to make it clear. But don't hide in that moment. A lot of times we, 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 we hide in that particular situation. Well, I'm waiting on God. No, you're not. You're just paralyzed by fear and you're masking it with a nice little Christian stamp. I'm waiting on God to move. And it's just a nice Christian response. What you actually need to do is to, to, to take action. And faith produces works. I got a message from somebody this week. I was so encouraged. Uh, somebody that I met a couple, literally a few years ago. And they literally just sent a, a, a Facebook message saying, I've been living for myself for so long. I've been afraid to risk. I've been afraid to step out. Uh, I've been afraid to literally give my, my, my life away and to live this life for God. But I'm at the end of my rope and I know it's time for me to start living for other people. That's a terrifying proposition for me. They didn't use the word terrifying, but just the season they've been in has had them living afraid. And so what they asked for were opportunities to serve other people. They were afraid to step out of the, the comfort zone of their box, but they finally got to a place where they were saying, you know what, enough is enough. I've been paralyzed by this for far too long, and I'd like to start taking action on this. Pastor Andy, is there an area where I can begin to serve? Is there a way that I can give my life away? Is there a way that I can make a difference? Because I'd like to get outside of my little frightening world. take action. It's amazing when you, when you begin when you, with ears to hear and you begin to do what God is asking you to do. How you can, step by step, walk through a season that is fearful, a season that might feel terrifying and have you afraid. But we serve a God. He's Emmanuel. He's God with us. He is a God who has not abandoned you. What is he asking of you in this moment? What is he asking you to do? Get that answer from him and do it. I, as your pastor this morning, I can't answer this for you. I'd love to be able to. I wish I had a magic wand and could just tell every single person, this is what you need to do, this is what you need to do, here's your spiritual prescription, here's your spiritual prescription, but the reality is you have to pursue a relationship with God. You must do that. You must pursue Him. You must be hungry for Him and then do as He is inviting you to do. It shouldn't contradict the Word of God. It shouldn't contradict that which is righteousness in the Scriptures, but you have to be faithful to what God is asking you to do. Here's what some of those action steps just might look like. Maybe God is asking you in this moment to take action and forgive. Maybe God is inviting you this morning, today as you're watching, to take action and serve like the person that I just mentioned. 
Maybe for you, it's opening your mouth and, and literally singing. Maybe for you, and singing a worship song and praising and letting go of that bitterness. Uh, maybe for you, it's having that hard conversation that you're afraid and terrified to have. Mary would have been terrified to talk to Joseph. Maybe you're terrified to talk to somebody about a particular offense or a hurt or a situation. And the gospel action that you have to take is to have courage and to do what you know is right. With grace and mercy and gentleness. But do what you know is right. And what God is asking you to do. We all know, you've all heard the stories, you know, the house that's burning, you know, and the person that runs courageously in and and save somebody from the, from the burning building, right? And that's an un, incredible demonstration of courage. And I'm not taking away from that. But most courage does not look like that. Most, cur, most courageous people historically have, have, have fostered the kind of relation, at least, at least spiritually courageous people, have fostered the kind of relationship with God where they know who He is. They know the kind of God that He is. They know the God that will be with them through thick and thin. And because they know that to be true, they choose courage long before they find themselves in a situation where they actually have to use it. They've chosen courage long before. And they've made this calculated moment that this is the kind of person I'm going to be. This is the kind of life that I'm going to live because this is the kind of God that I serve. And because I believe that about him, I can live courageously. It doesn't mean that you're going to be without fearful situations. It means that you can walk courageously through them. Psalm 119. David writes that your statutes are wonderful. Therefore, I obey them. The unfolding of your words gives light to me. It gives understanding to the simple. I open my mouth and I pant, longing for your commands. Turn to me and have mercy upon me as you always do to those who love your name. Direct my footsteps according to your word. And let no sin rule over me. So we see David talking about taking steps. Direct my footsteps, O God. Direct my feet in this moment, Lord. There have been so many times where that has been the prayer of my mouth. God, I don't know what things look like way out there, but I know enough to take the next step. Lord, direct my steps. Guide my steps. And this might be your action today. Look at, all the, look at all the actions, the gospel actions that happen in Psalm 119. And by the way, if anybody understands living courageously and having to, to, to walk with God through fearful situations, it's David. Your statutes are wonderful, therefore I obey them. Obedience. 
The unfolding of your word gives delight. It gives understanding to the simple. I open my mouth and I pant longing for your commands. Opens his mouth. He longs for God. He's hungry for him. Turn to me and have mercy on me as you always do to those who love your name. Direct my footsteps according to your word. Let no sin rule over me. I love this verse. Mainly because I love this idea of taking footsteps and taking steps. One of my favorite verses is also, Lord, your word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. And this morning, as you look at addressing fear this Christmas and walking with God through it, you don't have to run, you don't have to sprint, and you don't have to have all the answers. But this morning, what I want to encourage you to do is to get off the spiritual couch and begin to take your next step. What is it? It might be obedience. It might be opening your mouth and singing praise. It might be forgiving. It might be making a phone call that you've put off. It might be a text message, engaging in a conversation in a relationship that you have just let go of. You've rejected it. What is the gospel-centered action that you have to take today? What's God asking you to do? And do it. And do it. God will help you. God will fill you with the very spirit of, of, his, of himself. The spirit of Christ Jesus alive inside of you. If you will hunger for him. If you will thirst for him. If you will desire to do what's right by him. You can walk through anything and everything this morning. What's he asking you to do? Now do it. Don't put it off any longer. Don't put it off any longer. Father, I thank you in this moment, Lord, that you give us courage to take the next step. Lord, we choose courage to take the next step. Lord, in our relationship with you, but also, Lord, in addressing, Lord, what oftentimes just feels like a paralyzing season, a moment that we feel terrified or afraid or fearful. But God, we choose to not give in to just staying stuck of being paralyzed. We also choose not to just, God, uh, hide from from what you're doing by, by senseless activity. God, we want gospel action. We want gospel activity. We want Jesus. Uh, filled actions God we want to take the next steps in our relationship with you in walking with you and so God I'm asking in this moment as we are watching that you would make it clear Lord even those of us that are watching right now there, there are many that know exactly the thing that they need to do but they have been putting it off I pray right now by the power of the Holy Spirit that you would give them courage I pray that you draw them out of that fearful situation to trust you God you are good and you are faithful and you can be trusted 
and what you ask us to do, Lord, we can do it. Help us in this moment. Amen. Amen. Christmas is, is it's a powerful moment for us. Not only is it the, the moment of celebration of when Jesus is born, but the, so many aspects and elements of the story speak to our life right now as well. And one of those things is fear. Just to recap, you don't have to stay there. You don't. You don't have to stay still. God is with you. He's helping you. He's giving you gospel actions that you can take today. Love you. Thankful for you. See you right here next week. Thank you.